0: unattached. Okay, today you're going to eat your vegetables and you're gonna find out what is meant by sticky wages and why almost everything that you're told about stimulus is bullshit. Okay, think about this for a second, right? Like we were told in 2020 that we needed stimulus so that people could buy stuff to stimulate the economy. But now obviously... That is not what was wrong with the economy, right? The the problem wasn't that people didn't want to buy stuff and had to be convinced to buy stuff by giving them money. That wasn't the problem. The problem with the economy in 2020 is that it was being shut down by state governments, right? This is the problem. Why did GDP go down? GDP went down because we weren't making stuff. If we were making stuff, then we'd be employing people. and Everything would be fine. That wasn't the problem. Right now, they called it stimulus for the hicks for the they just thought people don't understand economics. Stimulus sounds good. Uh, You stimulate something and it grows. And so let's just leave it at that and not get into it. But. That was not what was going on in 2020. And it wasn't even really what was going on in 2009 during the last stimulus. So like what actual Keynesian economists thought they were doing was really different than what most people or even most politicians thought they were doing. What most people thought they were doing again is, oh, I know. Let's have the government give people money. They spend the money. The economy gets going again and everything will be great, right? But, you know, it, that's not it. Right. The, the, the you know, an economy is what you make and what you produce. It, it's not the amount of money that's in the system. But but there's a catch and it has to do with this weird term, sticky wages. So let me tell you. Uh, what they thought they were going to do. Oh, but first, let me just mention, right? Like, so, the, uh, if you're into Austrian economics or neoclassical economics or something like that, they got it wrong, too, uh, after 2009. So there was, you know, this famous bet between Bob Murphy and, uh, and uh, Brian Kaplan about whether there would be, you know, runaway inflation or something like that. So, you know, a lot of the, the Austrian economists thought that there would be huge inflation after the 2009 stimulus. And you can imagine why. Right. So I'm going to get into that, too. I'll just to first tell you a little bit about what economists thought they were doing uh, back in 2009. So remember, like, if you think about what people really care about with an economy, the biggest thing that people really care about, the thing that scares politicians, but also scares normal people and for really good reason. Is unemployment, right? Unemployment sucks. There is nothing worse than that, right? There's nothing worse than that if you are uh, like a normal person, not be able to, you know, to be able to uh, uh, produce for yourself and take care of your family. That's scary. The longer it goes on, you know, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, You know, if a community has a lot of employment, that's miserable. And of course, if a country has a lot of employment, that's miserable. And if you're a politician in a situation with a lot of unemployment, you're probably going down. So this is why everybody cares about unemployment a lot. Okay, now, how is unemployment supposed to work in a capitalist economy? It's supposed to go like that. It's supposed to be a little bit like um, uh, like soybeans, say, right? So imagine there's some year where there's just this huge bumper crop of soybeans. We've got way more than we usually do for you know, weather or whatever. So what would happen? Well, all the farmers or producers or distributors or whatever would sell the, you know, amount of soybeans that they normally sell, but then they would have this huge surplus because people are only going to buy as much as they're prepared to buy at a certain price. So what do you do? Well, you lower the price of soybeans, right? And you keep lowering it until you can sell them all because you don't want to have a bunch of leftover soybeans. The whole point of being a soybean farmer or whatever is to sell them all. You want to what's called clear the market. And you're going to lower prices as much as it takes to clear the market, to get those soybeans off your hands. Now, when you're talking about unemployment, you can't be so bloodless. First of all, right, like remember, we're talking about people's suffering. But on a certain level, the the just kind of like, you know, bloodless Economic theory states, well, that kind of the same thing would happen if you imagine having unemployment. One way to think about it is that you've got this big surplus of labor that's come about for whatever reason. So you might have a you know, surplus of soybeans because of great weather or new seeds or something like that. And you get a surplus of labor because, um, you know, I don't know, you know economic recession or whatever. So what should happen in order to clear the market of labor is the same thing for soybeans. Basically, the price of labor has to come down, which means salaries, wages have to come down. And sometimes that works. So like apparently that happened in the 1921 recession that basically wages went down until the market cleared. And then, you know, that this kind of set the stage for, you know, a a decade of of huge growth, etc. But like, you know. Over the last 70 years or something like that, the economy has changed. And in particular, like people have more long term jobs. You have to train longer. You stay with your businesses longer. You know, more people are hired by big businesses and so on. And here's the thing. Businesses hate to cut people's salaries. They really do. They hate to do it. Why? It's not because they're nice, even though they might be right. Like nobody actually likes to fire anybody or almost nobody unless you're a psychopath. Most people don't want to fire anyone and they don't want to cut anyone's salaries. And part of the reason, a big part of the reason, maybe the reason is that they know that it really hurts morale. So if you cut people's salaries, everyone gets unhappy. So they don't do it right even in the face of like bad business situation. They know that cutting people's salaries might save a few bucks, but ultimately it's going to hurt productivity so much. Make their business maybe even untenable if they piss off enough of their employees. So they just don't do it. So in the face of that, it takes a lot longer for an economy to get back to full unemployment than it would be otherwise, because they can't just cut salary costs. They can't just cut labor costs. Right. It, It would be like if there was something just getting in the way of cutting the price of soybeans, you'd be stuck with this oversupply of soybeans for a long time and it would cause all kinds of problems. OK, so you might say, well, actually, maybe that's a good thing, right? Like they don't cut salaries and, you know, who wants to salaries cut, especially in a recession? Well, yeah, that's true. But remember, you're talking about we're foregoing the small, you know, pain of employed people reducing their wages somewhat uh, in order to. Uh, but, but, you know, at the cost of the much bigger pain of having all these unemployed people not having a job for much, much longer. Okay, so that's sticky wages. That's what that means. Wages tend to get stuck at a certain level and nobody wants to cut them. So here's what the the inside people, the smart people, the economists, the the, you know, the 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 intelligentsia thought they were doing back in 2009. They thought they had a foolproof method for fixing this problem of sticky wages. Now you you know like these days the 2009 stimulus seems almost like quaint like it wasn't even a trillion dollars what are you talking about but actually for the time it was gigantic first of all it was like the first really big Keynesian stimulus that was intentionally there to like you know get out of a of a of a big recession since the Great Depression and here's the thing the the 2009 Obama stimulus was. You know, even in inflation adjusted terms as big as the entire New Deal. So, like even adjusting for inflation, the government, uh, you know, spent an extra trillion or nearly trillion dollars, which was about the same as the government spent over 10 years of the New Deal. So they really thought they were coming out guns a blazing. But. Why were they doing this? Remember, it wasn't that they were so naive as to just think, oh, let's throw a bunch of money in there. People will spend it. Businesses will say, hey, we're getting all this money and go to town. Right. That wasn't the idea. Here was the, the actual idea. OK, so now remember the problem was businesses can't reduce wages. So the market for labor can't clear. So what could we do instead? How about this? Businesses hold wages steady. They don't go up, they don't go down. And let's increase the price of literally everything else. So all the widgets that are being made by all the businesses are going up in price because everything is going up in price except labor costs, right? So if you looked back up in a while, the thing would look as though you had decreased everybody's wages. But it would be the opposite. Prices would have gone up instead of uh, uh, instead of wages going down. But the effect would be the same. This was the idea. So uh, this was literally the, the smart person's rationale for Keynesian economics. Let's intentionally have inflation in order to overcome this problem of sticky wages in order to reduce unemployment. Now, needless to say, it didn't work right. The, the, the 2008, 2009 recession drug on. It was miserable, it took years and years and years to dig out of it. So it didn't work. Now, the reason it didn't work I mean, one reason you could say it didn't work is that this kind of thing never works everywhere. You know, this kind of thing has ever been tried, you know, in the Great Depression in Japan over the last 20 years. You know, it's always a failure every time it's, it's, it's been tried. It, it doesn't work. But what Keynesians would say is, well, it didn't work because we didn't get inflation. Now, if you remember back to then, like the, the Austrian economists, the, a lot of the right wing economists were saying, we're going to get inflation and it's going to be terrible. But the reason they were saying this is because that it was the Keynesian economists that were in charge that were literally saying, let's have us some inflation to get out of this mess. But everybody was fooled. They threw in tons of money and the inflation didn't happen. Right. It was this weird situation where the the Fed is trying to get us to have inflation uh, and and we can't do it. So what happened? So this is a this is a big mystery. And what I'm going to say now is just my own view on this, that other people would disagree. But there's something there's definitely something going on. Right? So uh, the government, both the Fed and uh, the Congress, were doing everything that is supposed to make inflation go up, right? Spending a ton more money, borrowing it, keeping interest rates intentionally low. All of these things are intended to increase inflation. So why didn't? Okay, two big reasons. First one, think about like the biggest economic story of the last i don't know 45 years like what would make the biggest difference in world economy over the last you know half a lifetime it's got to be the rise of china right and what what does china do for the economy from the perspective of an american it means that everything is being produced cheaper all of our clothes, all of our electronics. By the way, a lot of food is now, too. If you look, there's a lot of food that actually comes from China. It's incredible that they've gone from, uh, you know, literally starving in the 1960s and eating babies to the point now where they're literally exporting food to, to many places. That's an incredible turnaround. Okay, so what should have been the result here? Well, the answer is... Deflation. If the price of everything that you care about is going down, you should have had persistent deflation. Well, we didn't. Why not? Well, because we're also operating on a persistent budget deficit. Now, this means that the government is borrowing or printing tons of money over decades and decades. What's the result of that? Well, it should be inflation. And in particular, when you ramp it up massively in 2009, etc., It should be even bigger inflation. So one thing that's going on is that you have this persistent deflation at the same time as this persistent inflation, and both of them are covering each other up. We're not seeing the inflation caused by government because it's being covered up by the deflation that's being caused by China and all these other markets that are opening up. If either one of them had happened by themselves, then it would be obvious what's going on. Oh, okay, the government's creating all this new money. It's leading to inflation or, oh. Wow, China is producing all this cheap stuff. It's leading to deflation. But because they were happening at the same time, they, you know, hid what was literally going on. Okay, that's part of it. Here's the other part of it. So uh, uh, you've probably or maybe you've heard of the Cantillon effect. Basically, the idea is that uh, when you have uh, a government creating inflation by creating new money, that it's not just going to be that everything equally goes up in price as economists like to imagine. Now, maybe over a long time horizon that that could kind of happen. But at the moment, there's going to be these weird bubbles that crop up all over the place. So imagine, for example, uh, that the Fed decided to create a uh, a whole bunch of new money, say, a hundred billion dollars. What would be the effect? Well, the effect, you know, like what you know if if every you know if if the money was just spread out evenly across the economy is that the price of everything would be a little higher than it normally would but that everyone would have you know kind of the same purchasing power as they did before it was just that everybody would be bidding up what they already wanted a little bit but now what if instead they gave all hundred billion dollars to you just here's a hundred billion dollars. Go stimulate the economy. First of all, awesome. But second, like what would be the effect? Well, you, you know, you could well imagine like a hundred years from now, all of that money would have been spent and spread out all over the place and everything would be a little bit more expensive than it would otherwise have been. But, you know, you couldn't measure exactly that effect. But in the short term, in the medium term, Would anybody benefit? And the answer is yes, of course. You would benefit. You would massively benefit. You would be getting a bigger house and a new car and going out to eat and, you know, giving money to your church and charities and buying your kids stuff, whatever. Would anybody else benefit? Yes. Uh, Your children, your neighborhood, your church, the businesses that you go to, whoever builds your house, whoever sells your car. Right. And then the people in their network would benefit a little bit. Right. And so there would be this kind of wave that was, you know, the highest at you and then another wave, you know, in in your immediate network and then another smaller wave in the network after them and so on. So that by the time you get to some, you know, random guy in Guam, they're not getting any benefit from the hundred billion dollars that went to you. But everything is a little bit more expensive than it would otherwise be. So here's the deal. Where did the money get injected in 2009 and again in 2020? Well, partly it's these little stimmy checks going everywhere. A lot more of it is going into, you know, kind of preferred businesses. And then the lion's share is going directly into the financial system, directly into big Banks. So that is who benefited from the 2009 and the 2020 stimulus disproportionately. Now, how can you tell? OK, so uh, one way that you can tell is that it's exactly all of the things that require financing that went up in price, particularly over the last few years. Right. So uh, think about the things that require financing, things that you borrow a lot of money in order to take on. So the three things that immediately come to mind are housing, education and then business, right? Writ large finance for business. All three of those things exploded in price now housing is a little bit hidden right so uh people kind of still have this idea that housing collapsed and it did right so at the beginning of the of the recession housing collapsed and it stayed collapsed because there was this vast oversupply but now housing is more expensive than it was even at the peak of uh of the of the collapse of the housing collapse right and go out and take a look now you know, even now, even in the teeth of COVID, housing prices are sky high. Now, the most obvious one in a way is education, right? Education has just exploded in cost. Why? Because it's so cheap and easy to borrow money. That, that This is the main reason why education has gotten expensive. Education hasn't gotten expensive uh you know, just out of the blue. It's not like colleges suddenly decided, hey, I know what's great for our business model. is just to be expensive. No. It's because it used to be that if you wanted to go to college, you had to pay for it or you had to convince a bank to lend you money. You'd have to go to the bank and be like, here's my collateral. Here's my dad's house or car. Here's how much I'm going to earn over the summer. This is what I'm going to be studying. I'm going to be able to pay this back. Right? Well, not the way anymore, right? So uh, first, the uh, the government simply said, "All right, well, we'll you know we'll cover it, right? Don't don't worry, banks. You know if they can't pay, we'll cover it." Now, government just directly finances almost all student debt, and they make it incredibly easy to take on that debt, and so the cost of college has just exploded. So when you look at like the cost of flour or the cost of television, that's not where the inflation is gone. It's gone into housing, it's gone into education, and it's most especially gone into asset prices. So by asset prices, I just mean by the price of stocks and bonds, right? So if you look at the stock market, at the value of companies, it has absolutely skyrocketed. Now, uh, one, val- uh, one uh, thing I like to look at is the uh, the, the so-called Buffett uh, index. The idea is that you take how much is being produced by the country and divide it by the price of stocks, and you get kind of a general idea: are stocks overvalued or not? So, like in the '80s, they were really undervalued. Uh, but every time, right before a big collapse, there tends to be a huge run-up in the value of stocks compared to their underlying, you know, productivity. So, right before the dot-com bubble, there was this huge run-up. You know, so the Buffett indicator was, you know, something like 20 percent overvalued, You know, showing that uh, in general, people were paying more for stocks than they were worth long term. Another big run up before 2009. Well, the run up now is vastly higher. I mean, we're nearly twice uh, the, the value of stocks compared to their historical, you know, value per unit of productivity were way overvalued why well because it's so easy for both businesses to take on debt and for individuals to take on debt so if you want to go buy a house right now I I, I looked not long ago you can get you know mortgages for like two point something percent it's absurdly low it's historically low So what do you do if you're smart? You look at the stock market going up and you're like, well, I could borrow this much uh, and put down a huge down payment. Or I could put down the absolute minimum down payment, take out the biggest loan I can, and put as much money that I have left over into the stock market, and I'm bound to make a mint. And so far, that's mostly been working. So that's what people do. Now, what happens when you've got just a bunch of borrowed money going into the stock market? Well, asset prices get run up. So they are. They're just going up and up and up up and have got become you know just completely disconnected with any sense of underlying value how far are they going to go up man i'm not going to predict that but uh, well beyond what any sane valuation would be so now looking back at all of this what have we gotten we've gotten higher housing prices higher education prices and uh asset prices that are through the roof now who benefits from this well people that own houses people that already have a high quality education and people that own stocks basically people with money right people with money have benefited handsomely from these policies who hasn't benefited everyone else now it's not that nobody owns stocks right so if you have a you know 401k you've benefited but the more you own the more you benefit and the richer you are the you know the bigger the chance that you own a lot of assets now oh by the way another effect that we didn't get was we didn't get the kind of inflation that would allow for a decrease in unemployment right it didn't work it's not the case that we had these generally rising prices of things and so uh the whole point of the exercise was to try to get inflation to a point where it could bring down unemployment but it never happened it never happened everybody was wrong because we didn't foresee the effect of China and we didn't foresee the effect of the (laughs) Cantillon effect uh, of all of this money going into asset prices and housing and education, et cetera, et cetera. It didn't work. It didn't work. So what are we doing? Well, we're doing it again. We're doing it again, only this time way bigger, right? As I speak, uh, the wheels are in motion to have yet another stimulus. But just for a minute, let's look at the size of last year's quote unquote stimulus. Now, uh, last year, we already had $2 trillion, actually more than that in in stimulus. Now, just to give you a sense of how much that is, trillion is $20,000 per household. So we're going to have to be paying back $20,000 per household plus interest. So that is in 2019 dollars, the amount of money that the federal government spent from 1789, the founding to 1967. (laughs) Right. It's more than the combined worth of Apple and Microsoft. It's more than all of the military budgets in the world combined, including ours. It's more than the cost of the Iraq or Afghanistan wars. It's more than the GDP of Canada, Russia, Australia or South Korea. It's enough money to completely fill two Costco's with stacks of hundred dollar bills just floor to ceiling. Uh, It's about half the cost of World War II, and 225 times the entire cost of the U.S. Civil War in 2019 dollars. So it's nearly twice our entire debt to China. How about this? It's nearly twice the amount of dollars in circulation. Uh, it's worth about 7.5 million pounds of gold. That's 34,000 tons. Now, 100% of it is either borrowed or newly created, and let's be real, almost all of it is newly created. We are not gonna find people to borrow that much on top of everything else. So, if interest rates are unchanged, And right now they're extremely low interest on two trillion dollars will be fifty two billion dollars a year. So in other words, we're going to be paying fifty two billion dollars in interest payments. It doesn't go to anything else except interest payments. Now, if that sounds small and after two trillion dollars, it does. But think about this. It's two and a half times the budget of the state of Minnesota. Right. With with that, plus the interest on all other federal debt it comes to $272 billion. That's bigger than the states of all 50 states. Right? The biggest is California at $214 billion. In fact, right now, just interest payments are one of the biggest line item uh, in the entire budget. More than education, science, transportation, and quote-unquote government combined. Now you think about that. Now, remember, that is with historically low interest rates. What happens when interest rates go up as they're going to do right? Interest rates are bound to go up. And when they do, uh, it could be a whopper. Now, remember, like interest rates are like sub two percent. And we have seen in this country interest rates of 20 percent, you know, in my lifetime. So imagine our current interest payments ballooning what would that be like is it possible that it's going to work this time right that we really will get price inflation maybe but is that so great i mean think about it what does price inflation mean it means that everything we want is more expensive Right. At best, maybe it would help people become employed that aren't employed, right? Which is good, of course. But literally everyone else would suffer. But when I say everyone else, who I mostly mean is, you know, everyone from like, the, the 5% to the 99%, something like that, right? If you're super rich, all of the effects of inflation are way washed out by the huge run-ups in asset prices. And if you have a job, uh, you're not benefiting from this at all. It's only if you if you don't have a job. Now, uh, of of course, it would be good. But as I said, I mean, it's never really been proven to work anyway, right? Is, uh, you know, were we better off in the Great Depression? No. Were we better off in 2009? No. Has Japan been better off over the last 30 years that they've been trying these policies? No, it doesn't seem to work. Yet we're doing it again and way, way bigger. Uh, I would expect one way or another, uh, it's not going to work this time either.